Welcome to the Brand Spanking New Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, Kyle Lowry is a good dad, Julian Edelman likes to jump on cars, and Clemson has to practice in a dance hall. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, the NFL Divisional Rounds concluded on Sunday night, with a Packers tightrope win over the Seahawks in Green Bay. This was preceded by the Texans blowing a 24-point first-quarter lead, as well as the Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski already having his foot out the door in the humbling loss on the road to the Niners. However, all of these games were overshadowed by the insert-foot-into-mouth cluster muck that happened on Saturday night in Baltimore, as the Ravens were pummeled by Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and the Tennessee Titans 28-12 at home. The loss completely shook up the Vegas odds as Baltimore was the overwhelming favorite to take the Super Bowl and the Ravens were riding a 12-game winning streak on the legs and arm of the probable MVP Lamar Jackson. However, the hype train surrounding Lamar was kind of left in the dust as he went 31 for 59, had two picks, and was sacked four times by a Mike Vrabel-led defense that essentially fears nobody. The biggest question surrounding Jackson is whether this uber-talented quarterback is a real long-term investment, or if he was just a flash-in-the-pan trend that only rose to fame because defenses had yet to figure him out. And this kind of phenomenon happens all the time in the NFL, where something new and shiny snaps the ball and captivates us for a short sample stretch, and then NFL defenses have a full off-season prepare, and that trend becomes nothing. It happens all the time, from Kaepernick to Tebow to the Wildcat offense. Something catches defensive backs off guard for a brief moment, has a few glorified highlight reel instances, and then is subsequently benched when analytics catch up and make it worthless. This happens all the time in society, where we latch onto things that are meaningless, that are essentially idiotic. But for some lunatic reason, everyone thinks it's the coolest thing since Betty White was caught slicing bread. Take, for instance, the mannequin challenge that was trending on social media a few years ago. Do you remember how petrified, no pun intended, we all were when this crazy obsession took over our smartphones? The whole world was captivated as we watched people literally stand still. Even NFL teams were caught doing this stupid trend. This is no lie. In a game against the Browns in November 2016, the entire Ravens team celebrated a touchdown by doing the mannequin challenge on the field. Yeah, that's true. They all scored and then froze in place, hoping they would get a few million hits on Snapchat. Think about if Marty McFly would have gotten out of the DeLorean and Back to the Future 2 and bumped into Joe Flacco on the sidelines during this escapade. Can you imagine the conversation between these two men? Wait, so let me get this straight. You guys just scored a touchdown, and so you're taking a long video of people just holding still, and that's cool? Yeah, it's like totally the in thing right now. Is that a hoverboard? Yeah, Joe, it was a thing. Emphasis on was. It was dead before Dick Clark on New Year's and we all went back to our regular scheduled lives. And that's the reality facing Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, this upcoming offseason. Is he a one and done? Or is he a sustainable centerpiece that the Ravens can build on for the next decade? The jury is still out for the moment, caught in frozen limbo to see what kind of QB Jackson will be when the season kicks off next August. Second, a clip emerged on Wednesday night after the uber-loaded Milwaukee Bucks beat down the talentless Golden State Warriors, which, for the record, can we all agree, the Warriors just flat-out do not care about this season at all. After the game, the greatest shooter of all time, Steph Curry, mouthed the words, 
come on, let's do it, to Buckstar Giannis Antetokounmpo, implying that he was looking to recruit Giannis to come sign with the Warriors when he becomes an unrestricted free agent next summer, which in the minds of NBA purists is a form of tampering, a sin that is punishable by death. For the record, I know the opening paragraph of the story all sounds like a TMZ report. Did you hear he said this to him at that one place? Oh my gosh, this is totally like a thing, right? They are so going to hook up. But in all seriousness, Giannis has every right to decide which beach he wants to take his talents to when his free agency opens up in 2021. And people arguing that Steph should be charged with tampering is ludicrous. Who are we? Third graders arguing at recess about what TJ said to Spinelli during kickball? Have journalists suddenly transformed into Randall the Snitch Weems looking to stir up trouble over trivial crap? The biggest question being raised about the situation is the two-word inquiry of what if? What if Giannis decides that the talent pool surrounding him isn't elite enough to take him to a title? What if everyone realizes that Mike Buddenholzer is a trend chaser and is nowhere near the strategic brilliance of Steve Kerr? What if this season's Cream City jerseys turned Giannis off enough that he would rather share a locker with Draymond Nutpunch Green instead? People play with what-if situations all the time. What if the Blazers would have drafted MJ instead of Bowie? What if JFK decided not to go to the parade in Dallas? What if Hannah Brown's parents actually gave her love and attention in her early childhood years so that she wouldn't have to be an egotistical attention monger on four different shows? For the record, she had no business winning Dancing with the Stars season 28. Kel Mitchell was by far the better dancer. Do not question me on that. The point is, there are what-ifs all the time. And yes, what if Steph Curry was tampering by asking Giannis to team up? And what if Milwaukee doesn't win a title in the next two years? And what if he does decide to create Super Team 2.0 in the summer of 2021? Those are all valid questions to ask. We can speculate all we want and toss out those hypotheticals left and right. What we do know is this. Giannis and Steph have a good relationship. The Warriors are forever looking to poach talent from opposing teams. And Hannah Brown is a loathable loser who needs to be escorted off the stage ASAP. Finally, in a move that caught college football fans completely off guard this week... Mike Leach resigned as head coach of the Washington State Cougars to take the reins as the new coach at Mississippi State, going from the pass-happy defenseless Pac-12 North to the run-heavy defensively loaded undoubtedly best division in college football, SEC West. That is a complete shift of perspective. Think about it. He was on the verge of becoming the top dog in Washington now that Chris Peterson stepped down at former in-state rival Washington. Now, he'll be sharing the recruiting trail with Lane Kiffin, representing a school that hasn't won their division since the Clinton administration, which, when you think about it, that's a long time. We're talking 1998, before Star Wars Episode I even came out. It's been that long since the Bulldogs played in the SEC title game. Monica Lewinsky had yet to be apprehended. That's the drought they're currently in. Honestly, when this first broke, I was a little surprised that it happened. I mean, I get that money is a big deal. And State shelled out almost $2 million more per year than Wazoo ever gave him. But Mike Leach is an offensive guru. He does not care about defense at all. He gave up 67 points to 0-3 UCLA last season. That's how little attention he gives to what cover his secondary will be in. And he's taking his talents to the conference that is best known for defense, that lives and breathes three yards in a cloud of dust? The best game that happened in the SEC in the last 30 years was the 9-6 field position fest between LSU and Bama in 2011. And Leach wants to try his hand there? Also, who wants to live in Starkville, Mississippi? 
What is appealing about a humidified town of 25,000 people whose hallmark tourist attraction is the Cullis and Gladys Wade Clock Museum? True story. Been there. And man, was I riveted by the amount of hands ticking in that small room. But as the wheels were turning, I began wondering the same thing about Pullman, Washington. Same small town, same small-minded mentality. 30,000 people wrapped up around a university that hasn't cared about the athletic program since Ryan Leaf threw a tantrum in a locker room. Literally, they are the exact same colleges, just in different time zones. Find me something that Pullman has that Starkville doesn't. Small town barbershop where locals meet after high school football games on Friday nights. Check. People riding horses up to the drive-thru. Check. The mayor doubling as the high school principal, part-time deputy, and dress-up clown for little kids' birthdays. Check. And Applebee's. Check. Never mind, I'm wrong. Leach has every right to take his $2 million raise and live in the cellar of the SEC West for the next five years. There is nothing Pullman has that Starkville doesn't. Well, I take that back. Annual beatdowns from Cocho, Saban, Gus Malzahn, and Jimbo were also included in the deal. Never mind, Pullman is the much better option for him. We now shift to what matters this week, which for this week's episode focuses on a story coming to us from the links. Now you may say, Brock, no one cares about golf. It's January. Talk about something relevant. To which I rebut, golf is still relevant. It's just hard to ignore a grade-A jerk. This past week, the golfer known to us as Patrick Cheater McCheaterface Reed surfaced again on the spectrum of bad PR as Reed's lawyer Peter Ginsburg delivered a cease and desist letter to Brandel Chambly demanding that the Golf Channel analyst stop calling Reed a cheater on broadcast television. Reed, if you remember, was blatantly caught cheating on live TV during the Hero World Challenge in December when he took two backstrokes in the sand, shaving sand away and approving his lie. Reed denied the incident, saying he didn't cheat, and that to label him as a such was unfair. Saying, whenever you're out there and you do something unintentionally that breaks a rule, it's not considered cheating, and at the end of the day, that's what it is. If you intentionally try to do something, then yes, it would be considered cheating. Let me rephrase that last line for you. If you intentionally try to do something, then yes, it would be considered cheating. Yeah, Patrick, that's what cheating is. And that's why Chambly and the rest of the golf community yells that out from the top of their lungs whenever you're putting for par. You are a cheater, whether you think you are or not. The ball don't lie, Patrick. And neither do the TV cameras, the stolen Scotty Cameron putters you have in your possession, your former college teammates from the university you were kicked out of, or your parents. Everyone can see the egg that keeps dripping on your face every single week. This bad boy mentality is something that is rather unbecoming of the sport of golf. For the record, if you say that last line in a Hugh Grant accent, it completely emphasizes how civilized golf really is. Golf is very refined, very posh, very unwavering in their appropriateness. They shan't need any of this nonsense behavior on their tee boxes. But on second thought, they do need this. Golf needs a bad boy. And no, I'm not talking about Brooks Kepka trying to win arm wrestling contests or John Daly drinking PBRs in between holes. Golf needs a villain, a devil, a shooter McGavin who thinks that everyone needs to stay out of his way or they'll pay. I'm going out into the deep rough with this take, but I contest that Patrick Reed, the flea bag, is the greatest thing to happen to golf since the invention of the rangefinder. Sports is littered with villains in all of the big four sports, and the notorious reputation is always the first paragraph entry in their Wikipedia page. There's the bad boy Pistons, the Raiders of the 80s, the Yankees of the late 90s, the Spygate, Deflategate, Sideline Cameragate, whatever you want to call them, Patriots. There are always villains in sports, and we embrace their wicked ways, because without them, 
we wouldn't have the victors being recognized as heroes. If the Pistons didn't walk off in a temper tantrum after the Bulls swept them in the 91 Eastern Conference Finals, would MJ be lauded with praise for his win? If the Patriots weren't repeatedly caught with their hands in the deflated cookie jar, would we all love Eli Manning as much as we do for his two victories? I dare say no. Heroes rise because they conquer the villains. And that's what golf is missing. It has no villains. Everyone on tour is BFFs and make YouTube videos about going on cruises together. The jerk store called and they're hand-delivering Patrick Reed to them on a silver platter. They must use this opportunity to milk it for all it's worth. Which brings us to this. We need villains. That's the bottom line. If Darth Vader didn't abandon his children and betray the Force, then Luke Skywalker is just some orphan farmer with an abnormal obsession with incest and robots. If there's no Thanos, then Tony Stark snapping his fingers doesn't mean Jack. If Ramsey Bolton isn't some pervert who likes feeding people to wolves, then it doesn't really matter if Jon Snow came back from the dead. Wait, hold on, I take that back. I did see the final excuse for a season that Game of Thrones aired last year, and turns out, no, it didn't matter that Jon Snow came back from the dead anyway. None of that mattered. Thanks a lot, HBO, for ruining a storied franchise. You're the villain of TV. The point is that villains are important. Whether we realize it or not, if we don't have the Hannibal Lecters, the Anton Chigurhs, and Norman Bates around, then none of the acts that the protagonists do mean anything. We need bad people in our lives to contradict any and all good acts that occur. And that's why golf needs Patrick Reed. They have already tried to have a bad guy who wears red and enjoys cheating on his wife and screams at fans for no reason, but the reality is, golf loves Tiger Woods even more. They need Patrick Reed to cheat, to lie about the number of strokes he hit, to improve the lie on his ball in the bunker, and then deliver cease and desist letters to broadcasters. They need him to be an immature idiot to make ratings go up. I would much rather hear a crowd at Augusta yell out, Cheater, rather than, Get in the hole, whenever he hits a putt. And that's what Patrick Reed is. A cheater. A smug 1% moron who has no social awareness. I say golf milks this cow as long as they can. And when he's done hitting the ball off of Frankenstein's fat foot, he can walk off with his green jacket to nobody. Because that's the fate villains usually succumb to at the end of their reign. Thanks for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week. Unlike the UNC Tar Heels basketball team this season, the least talented team you've ever coached? Geez, Roy, take a shot of Metamucil or something.